beyond and hello everyone my name is jonathan dormish and i am the host of ign's weekly playstation show podcast beyond this is episode 591 we are so close to episode 600 oh my god and even closer to carly ray jepson's dedicated album coming out uh the 17th i believe i'm very excited anyway uh dedicated to the show in addition i hope so in addition carly if you're ever in san francisco please come to the ign offices and come hang out and be on beyond huge gamer i uh, her last album is one of my favorite albums of all time. Anyway, I am joined this week beyond the spirit of Carly Rae Jepsen by Max Scoville. Hey. And Brian Altano. Beyond and good morning to you both. We're, it's like a rainy... We're recording in the morning. It's, it's, it's a rainy morning in San Francisco. It's like, I don't know, but I'm very happy to be in here. It's cozy. It's nice. Yeah, it's weird. We usually record on sort of, I don't know, sort of sloppy afternoons, and, and today it's a big <laughs> sloppy morning. It's We're actually, we get to skip the morning meeting. This this feels like in uh, in like grade school when you got to be late for school because you had to go to the dentist or something. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 I used to do the morning announcements in my high school. Really? And so, yeah, I got to like not have to sit in my homeroom and be quiet and everything. Like I would, I worked tech and was on them a couple oh. times, but I would like... Oh, I get to just go hang out in the studio for an extra thirty minutes God, and not awesome. have to go to Can you give us first. some PlayStation morning announcements? Today, the biggest news about PlayStation will include talk about Death Stranding and Kojima's teases for a new trailer. In addition to that, Ubisoft has announced three new games are coming in the next year, and a fantastic memory card is coming your way to later this episode. But first, I have an announcement. Sort of an announcement. Uh oh. Beyond 600 is really close, and uh, I know a lot of you have been asking if we're going to be doing something for Beyond 600. Things are in the works. We are going to be doing something. Um, we are still working out the very specifics for everything, but something will be happening in San Francisco toward the end of June. I think we're looking tentatively at the last week of June. We're nailing down the date and everything, so I'm not going to say anything just yet in case that moves. But if you're looking to come to something, we will have tickets available and information available and all that stuff as it comes together but we are planning a beyond 600 yeah live show thing it's gonna be fun i'm excited yeah we uh we will be celebrating and hanging out with you guys and we will lock down those dates very soon but yeah we're we're gonna do something fun yes yeah there's a very good chance i will not be there because i'm going on vacation i I want a a message from you from i think we can at the very least have a cardboard cutout of me and i could probably make you a video from perfect Hawaii well, at the very <coughs> least, an airplane or something. Yes, um, but yeah. So for those who have been wondering, we will be doing something. More details, <clears throat> excuse me, to come to the morning. We all yeah. have morning uh, bad talking abilities, but yeah, we morning will. Morning breath. Morning breath. Uh, morning whispers. <laughs> morning whispers. Uh, but yeah, we will have more information coming about that. Stay tuned. But before Beyond Six Hundred happens, we have a lot more news to discuss this week. So let's get into News Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> Someone in the Beyond Facebook group never fails. Said, so much going on there. Yeah. I love News Crunch as a segment. I hate the opening. They're like that child just bothers me so it's, much. It's you just, know what? I think it's because that we have pointed it out so many times that yeah. now people can't unhear. Well, it's we've so given many, them backstory. It's like so many things happening. Once you've got like a little bit of like porn groove, you've got some like, a techno like a like drum. A, yeah, there's like a techno build up. There's a 1920s boy. Yeah, and there's, there's like you the, shouting. The, there's the snare they used on Saint Anger. Like it's weird. There's uh, a lot. There's anyway, a lot it's on. crazy. That was Ronnie's thesis project when he was in music school. I he know. just replicated that on the show. Yeah, but it works. We do actually have quite a bit to talk about this week. I did want to bring up one thing, though, related to... We did a bonus episode last week about the state of play, and on that episode, we were talking about the fact of, you know, who is the medieval remake for? Uh, medieval? I was told I say it weird. I, but it, You've said it weird so often that I've latched onto I that, think and I just yeah. call it medieval now. Yeah, that's... I mean, it has the inner cap, so... It like medichlorians. <laughs> uh, but we were talking about, you know, like, who is in that nostalgia window because it obviously wasn't at the heights of like crash or spiral or things like that. And Brandon from the Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash podcast beyond said when they announced it, I couldn't believe it. I feel like they're making this just for me. Uh, He was very excited. Sean, one of the mods, I believe in the group pointed him out to me to let us know there are fans in the beyond group who are excited for medieval 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 remake no that rules yeah. that totally rules uh, i think that's like what's the the cool thing about one of the only good things about getting old and still playing video games is that if you live long enough you might get to see some of your favorite games get remastered yeah. which is really cool which is awesome that that happens so frequently yep. these days uh moving into the news though uh one thing i want to talk about we've got quite a bit of ubisoft to discuss the first piece that i want to talk about is that ubisoft basically kind of trolled us all yesterday or maybe if yeah. you're suspicious so anyway the long and short of it is 
a the creative director of the Division Two tweeted out working on the new Splinter Cell with and added a couple other directors at Ubisoft Games and was and went on on this longer tweet of like and it's a crossover with the crew too and whatever and whatever and then tweeted out please don't retweet <laughs> et cetera et cetera and then tweeted out some of his messages with one of the PR representatives from Ubisoft and then Ubisoft gave us an official comment and I'm going to find it very quickly but essentially they called it a joke they said. His tweets, uh, Julian was obviously joking as Julian likes to do. It looks like our creative directors are having fun right now. We do not have any announcements to make at this time. But essentially, you can't, you can't joke about that. Yeah, in the, in the age of Twitter as it is and people saying things all the time. But essentially, for a brief 20 minute window, it seemed like a new Splinter Cell was in the works officially, accidentally. No, I mean, you could literally go on, on, on Twitter and just for verbatim write the why did the chicken cross the road joke, and you would have thousands of people being like, where? Where's the chicken? Like people take things very literally on that website. Yeah. It's it's very hard to infer tone or or sarcasm or humor or anything like that. And so I saw that and I was like, oh, he screwed up. But we're getting a new Splinter Cell. This rules. Same. Um, I forget which one. It might have been the last or the second to last Splinter Cell. I got really into Blacklist. Maybe? Blacklist was the last one. It was Conviction then Blacklist. Yeah. Um, I loved that game. Yeah. Like I thought that that had like pretty much it, it crystallized my favorite parts of the original franchise and then build a bunch of cool stuff on it had like multiplayer stuff that i didn't really mess with too much but yeah. um that game was a blast i, I oh sorry Max. i completely like i was never really into splinter cell but i did a bunch of like i think preview coverage leading into that and it was really it was interesting because it it felt sort of almost neck and neck with the uh with the tomb raider reboot it was around the same time frame and they were like let's you know let's take sort of the the sort of nuts and bolts of this franchise and go back to it and it was like it was very much, it wasn't quite open world, but it was that wide linear. Yeah. It was yeah. like, you can be quiet or you can be loud. You can hang off the ledges and whistle to get people's attention. And we got spies versus mercs. And then it kind of came and went, you know? And mm -hmm. it was. It felt like, you know, it was obviously, a, I, I thought it was going to, you know, we'd get more sequels or we'd, but it, where are they? It just kind of disappeared, yeah. sort of like Prince of Persia did for Ubisoft. Mm -hmm. My thing is, I think whether or not this was an actual joke, I think he probably was joking, but I feel like there has probably been a Splinter Cell in the works at Ubisoft at some point in the last few years, yeah. or it's something they're thinking about. What's interesting to me, like on that note, because of they keep mentioning Splinter Cell, it's referenced in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. They brought Michael Ironside back for a mission in Ghost Recon Wildlands DLC. Mm -hmm. Like they continue to bring up Splinter Cell. No, even his like set the stage. His goggles have become like part of the sort of like iconography of Ubisoft as a studio. I mean, they sneak into Rabbids, they sneak into like all of their Uplay stuff. You go to their website and poke around, it's like Sam Fisher eyes are there, you yeah. know? That's a, that's a that's a thing people want. It's a thing people care about. It's a, a prestigious thing to that studio. Where is the new game? Yeah, and normally, so I don't tend to put a lot of faith in retail uh, leaks these days because so often it's a lot of people who put a thing they think might happen in a computer to make it easier when they have to put it in. Like that just is the reality of it sometimes. Yeah. But the infamous Walmart Canada leak last year mentioned a Splinter Cell, and pretty much every other game in that leak has since been confirmed, announced, or was already revealed. So uh, to me, that meant there was probably a Splinter Cell at some point that was being talked about maybe it's been scrapped maybe they're waiting to reveal it yep who knows but i did want to mention uh continuing into the ubisoft news they just released their yearly earnings report uh for the last fiscal year and also had a little bit about looking ahead to the next fiscal year which would run from april 1st this year to march 31st 2020 um, and what they said in that is that they have four major AAA releases planned through that fiscal year. Basically. Four. Four. So including Ghost Recon Breakpoint. So uh, the exact quote essentially is that they plan to release, reveal and then release three more AAA titles um, in addition to Ghost Recon Breakpoint in the last fiscal quarter of this coming fiscal year, which would be... January to March 2020. Okay. Unless fiscal years are very complicated sometimes where every company's fiscal year is slightly different. So like their fiscal year is fiscal year 2019 to 2020, mm -hmm. but another company might right now be in fiscal year 2020. So and are we talking about... So there's just all these like weird numbers to deal, deal with. Yeah. But essentially, going by a standard Ubisoft procedure, that would be January to March 2020. There will be three AAA releases. Three games from January to March? That's how I read it in their report. It could be, I can show you guys the language, but essentially it says... Here we go. Uh, the increase in net bookings for fiscal year 2019 to 2020 um, will be a strong growth for new releases with four AAA titles, including Ghost Recon Breakpoint, and three other titles that will be revealed later and released in the fourth fiscal quarter. Okay, so... That's not surprising at all. 
I think that's that's pretty much on track for sort of how they've they've gotten better about not announcing things so far in advance. Yeah. Uh, like when you look at sort of the the scheduling surrounding this stuff, um, Ghost Recon Wildlands was announced at E3 2015. That came out in 2017. Yeah. We got Breakpoint announced, what, last week? And that's coming out in October. Mm-hmm. Like they've obviously kind of learned how to sort of, you know, nip that in the bud and get a, a better, you know, better idea of when things are going to be ready and also how to not kind of burn people out. You look at the difference between Watch Dogs 1 and Watch Dogs 2 and sort of that long tail of, you know, PR promotion and announcement. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if we had, you know, a couple more surprises at E3 that are, yeah. you know, I mean, it's how Bethesda did it with Fallout 4, where they're yeah. like, it's out this year. Well, and, and they've been better themselves about that, like you were saying, with something like Breakpoint, they've been doing that with the Assassin's Creeds, they haven't really been giving those too much of a long tail. Right. To me, it feels like something like a new Watch Dogs, which we've seen some like rumors and leaks about it. Um, it are, is, are, in fact, true. Are we seriously thinking that they're going to launch, like, a, a new game in January, a new game in February, and a new game in March? <laughs> They could release them somewhat close to each other. Yeah, because um, that feels crazy. Well, so, like, we've seen proven success in January. Is like, we've had Capcom yeah. really dominating January. Kingdom Hearts 3 was released this year in January. Mm-hmm. And Ubisoft themselves have had big success in February and March. In 2017, I believe it was. Um, that's like Ghost Far- Recon. That's Far Cry territory. Yeah, Ghost Recon Wildlands. For Honor was announced mm-hmm. or released in February, I believe. Um, yeah. Far Cry, we get a lot. If not in December's, we get it I mean, in the early parts of the year. We've kind of learned to expect. I feel like there's the when did like Far Cry Five came out? That was a fall release, right? I'm like, I'm trying to remember that. I know that Primal and um, Far Cry Five was March 27th. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, it was Far, Far Cry, Cry Four was a December because Five and okay. New Dawn were like just around a year apart mm-hmm. and used the same map, and there was a lot of deja vu going on playing those games because I was like, oh yeah, I've been here and done that mm-hmm. um i mean far, new dawn was also announced like less than a year out from that that was a june announcement and then yeah that was dropped. an e3 thing yeah um far cry a far cry shaped thing to sort of cap off the generation feels right i would say that we will not see a new assassin's creed thing they just launched that massive new so they update. Uh, yeah episode one of the fate of atlantis dlc which functionally looks like i haven't gotten to it yet i'm still working my way yeah. through the other dlc but it feels like a new full game and that that's their focus for this year totally and assassin's creed is also like usually a, a pretty big fall franchise yeah it's a so fall game. i could see them rolling out a new one next year around next gen launch yeah um that'd be super cool ubisoft loves launch titles they do unless i mean there's the weird caveat of if Microsoft, I don't think Sony will anymore launch early in 2020. If Microsoft decides to go early in 2020 and release in, release in March, oh god, that could change things too. I'm not saying they will, but they did release the 360 a full year before PS3 was released. Yeah, the and Switch also March release was a big. So, one. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. I mean, we used to think that like any console launching in the spring was suicide, and then the Switch came out, and it's it's it, the Switch, by the way, just outsold the PS4 in Japan. In Japan, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um. So I I think a Watch Dogs thing feels right, a Far Cry thing, and then their third one, Skull and Bones. So they actually delayed Skull and Bones in this fiscal report, also until after this fiscal year. Oh, so wow. it okay. won't so come a, until after March 2020. Okay, I think so that's a ways off. I then. think yeah. the third thing will be some sort of all ages thing. Um. They've seen success working with the so, sort of Mario rabbits thing uh, they saw the opposite of success with starlink unfortunately yeah. um i think i i, I don't really rabbits are weird because like they you don't think of them as like a, a a thing at all and then you go to france and they're everywhere and you're like i don't get it like this is your mickey mouse i would be so, <laughs> i would be so so down if they took that sort of trademark ubisoft open world formula and they just made a rabbits game mm-hmm. i don't That'd know what crazy. it would be about but <laughs> in, all, in all ages i think we talked about this the other day right about uh simpsons hit and run oh yeah that's yeah. sort of like making an all ages like uh i don't know open world gta style game it, but it definitely kids. seems in ubisoft's interest to make something for all ages like seeing them do things with starlink or seeing mario plus rabbits like obviously they do want to appeal to beyond a like hardcore mainstream gamer crowd sort of thing like mm-hmm. they want something that can appeal to a younger demographic and parents would be okay buying all the yep. time so that it's, wouldn't be shocking if they do a mm-hmm. like major triple a they do also have Prince of Persia, which they've been sitting on for way too long. I, I mean, feel like that's kind of come and gone. I don't think they're – I mean, I could be totally wrong here. But I feel like the – I don't know. I feel like they, they kind of pivoted what that what the core of that game was into sort of Assassin's Creed. 
and made it like not just i mean i don't know there was like the wall wall running and climbing and stuff it's also i don't know it's they were like here's it's prince of persia anyway here's the movie starring like jake gyllenhaal and ben's pen kingsley so like, <laughs> yeah oh, okay all right yeah it's it's definitely a different time i liked that uh sort of like reboot remake uh for his art style and everything that came out in the 360 ps3 generation but it seems like they very clearly when assassin's creed took off that became their stealthy or yep. climb all over like which i think also kind of contributed to splinter cell going away mm-hmm. it also it, i can't even imagine them doing like a, a linear narrative driven single player game yeah. these days They're, they are games as a service yeah That's also i mean there's a bunch of stuff we're forgetting about there's all the big sort of uh you know more familiar franchises that have characters and and you know mascots and whatnot but they also have like steep and just and, dance uh, just da- oh, yeah there's just yeah. dance and then there's um um what dri- uh drive club no. uh driver. what am i saying driver driver, driver. Yeah. and then uh the crew yeah just yeah. dance is the one where we all grumble for seven minutes a year at e3 and then it goes on to become one of the most consistently best-selling games of the year just quietly it's also the and one that like sells the best on on consoles that we've all long since given up on they were making like just dance is like the dance version of madden where yeah. they, they make versions of that game long after like the nintendo wii and the it's ps3 still coming or, to the wii. yeah it yeah. still came it's to the wii last absolutely year. crazy to me that's yeah. crazy i yeah obviously we don't cover just dance that much i did pitch a 24-hour dance marathon but it's just us playing just dance how dare you because i would love it <laughs> um but yeah, obviously there are a lot of things either like waiting in the wings at Ubisoft they could do. I do agree. I don't think unless it's tied to probably a next gen launch or something like that, like a, the next Assassin's Creed is going to be a big deal for them. Mm-hmm. And that would be surprising to me for them to put it out in the early part of the year. Um, but obviously we have no idea about what those three games are exactly, but we will have the E3 press conference that Ubisoft is doing. So hopefully that gives us a better idea of what's on the way from them in the early part of next year. Moving on from that though, I did want to mention... Raising Kratos came out uh, in between episodes when we recorded. Raising Kratos is the like feature-length God of War documentary celebrating the development of that game, its launch, its reception, the yep. fans, um, the ups and downs of that development. And I don't know if both of you have gotten a chance to watch it or anything. I just wanted to, if yeah. you have, just sort of your reactions to watching what you have seen of it. We're in it. Yeah, we're in it for at the uh, credits. Dude, That's <laughs> right. Did we sign releases for that? No. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, we need to. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I'm how glad that, we're in it. I don't know how that stuff works. That's no. cool. I, just, I, I was like clapping and cheering when yeah. my dumb face I, I popped was, up. Yeah, at the yeah. End. it was very fun. Uh, it is a, a a beautiful, haunting, inspiring tale about like the 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 sort of highs and lows and sort of perils of video game development. It it, it both makes me go, oh, that would be a really cool thing to do someday, and also, oh my god, that sounds like the most terrifying thing in the world. Like, it looks, this is a success story about when a bunch of people come together with a vision and pull something off, and there's so many versions of that that don't get documentaries, where games come out and kind of get, like, fives or sixes, and everybody went in with the right intentions, and something just crumbles. But it is, like, really cool to see uh, just little moments of them, like, reacting to finding out about reviews for the first time or Twitch streamers or traveling all over the world and sort of like wondering if this thing is working. The the amount of um, sort of uh, honesty and, and self-doubt that that, are, that is in this is like really sort of inspiring and refreshing in I a way. I appreciated how much of that was in there because obviously this is a thing released from PlayStation. So like, you know, there's a presumed level of sanitation to it that happens yeah. um, in the process of making it. But they still do offer a surprising amount of like, oh, this might fail, or oh, working on this thing for four years is getting to me, or oh, hey, a hundred people just got laid off. Yeah, like mm. there are ter- there are terrible parts of game development in the modern era right yep. now. And, and I mean, again, like Corey has like obviously become the figurehead of this game. So many people worked on this game, but it is it is like he is, and he's been on the show a bunch of times. You know, we consider him a friend. It is it's so cool to see someone that sort of transparent and and earnest about about that process and especially about the emotions that go into it um i i think i recoil a lot when i see a lot of people in the audience and and even press uh say things like oh their developers are lazy or like they didn't try hard enough for this like the amount of work that goes just into a a door in a video game Mm -hmm. or an axe um is is just there's just so much and to see so many people working on this and then like basically burst into tears when the reviews come it's so in cool and stuff and yeah and i mean obviously like Corey is like he's he's wonderful and he's he's become sort of the, the face of that studio but that game is as triumphantly phenomenal as it is because of clearly a lot of really really just 
great teamwork. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just, I, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I appreciated the focus that they put on not just Corey, mm-hmm. and whether it's the leads of the different teams or what seems to be Corey's like unsung hero, Yumi Yang, uh, producer on the game, like things like that. Or there's like a very insightful moment where it's uh, Yumi and Shen Stud still talking about like, hey, obviously a lot of crunch time happens yep. with a game like this. How has it been having though like a family here versus like, you know, unfortunately having to miss some stuff with your family at home and Shannon like just openly goes, I don't want to answer this question right now. Like there there are very revealing moments about things like that. Yep. But it also points to here's what the animators had to work on, here's what the narrative team had to work on, here's what all the different departments to a certain extent had to go through to bring mm-hmm. this game to life. Mm-hmm. It was uh I've I've done like a couple dev studio visits in the it, it in my days and it's like it's always fascinating to see something go from sort of concept to to completion in in that regard and seeing somebody like pass a sketch down the hall to the 3d modeler who then passes it down the hall to somebody who's texture doing texture work and just to make one one tree or one character um it's i I, i've always been fascinated in sort of like bts stuff and how stuff gets made and i i really hope this becomes something we get to see more of and i do appreciate like you you hinted at jonathan that like there is this is obviously a, a piece of, of PR material from Sony, but there is uh, there are moments in there where you find vulnerability that they didn't just gut out, and I appreciate that because that's part of the story is that things are not easy to make. I think it's also really incredibly important to sort of uh, show how things are made mm-hmm. and to not just make them like it's not just you know people put math into a box and cowboys come out like this is a lot of people's time and you know blood and sweat and tears and all that and it, it you know yeah Sony's doing this but. That's good. Like it's yes. good that yeah. a company is being like. I think there's such a such a weird because games are so rooted in in uh, sort of like tech business, you know, as opposed to like like the entertainment industry. There's things are kept much more buttoned up. Like I would be surprised if we saw something like this from Rockstar ever. It would be really cool if we did. Um, if they did, I feel like it would be you know they'd hire like Werner Herzog to do it or something. <laughs> but like you know, it's it's there's this kind of there's this mystery. And the weird part of it is like it's not it. it it doesn't have the same amount of movie magic. It's like harder work and it's less cool to look at from a distance. Yeah. It's a lot of people sitting at desks, you know, and it's it's like sometimes there's cool stuff on the desks and sometimes they're like, yeah, let's build an actual axe and mocap it or whatever, you know. But yeah. like it's not as like, it's not like, oh, like Steven Spielberg built a giant boulder and pushed it down a tunnel. Like this is, you know, it's a lot of, uh, you know, like hard, heavy lifting that's that's tedious and i mean there's a there's an actual grind there yeah and even a game like this where it's very cinematic obviously you know they show a lot of the mocap and a dramatic moment is them poking a plastic knife into a foam square right the you know big one of the big emotional moments of the game and it's quite different than you can go we're in the desert shooting star wars and totally all of this incredible like work done to their costume and everything here's daisy ridley's stunt (laughs) double flipping over a tie fighter here are 700 dots on christopher judge yep Yep. He is Kratos. I mean, it's like in, games are interesting because they're highly interactive, which is different than something like The Force Awakens, which you just watch and it unfolds in front of you. But uh, our our base expectation with video games is that they work perfectly. And when they don't, our uh, impetus is almost to take pictures of it. And we've all, we've all done this or like take videos and be like, ha, 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 it broke. Um, and yeah, because that's funny, right? Because it's like it's it's this cinematic, serious world that uh, occasionally, like a guy gets stuck in a wall or like somebody falls through the floor, and it's that's built a microcosm out of nothing. Yeah, and so that's like that's really cool to see, um, sort of that entire process going there. And I think honestly, it's like if you're a budding game developer, you're an artist, um, dig into stuff like this, watch stuff like this. Also, shout out to people like Danny O'Dwyer making you no know, clip, no clip, yeah. which mm-hmm. is like a tremendous video series about how the, how video games get made. Um, I w- there's all these documentaries on Netflix, Chef's Table and Street Food and all this other stuff, and I love them all because I love I love eating and I love food and I love cooking. But uh, I think a lot of people have a disconnect with sort of how stuff gets made, and it's really fascinating. And I promise you, like once you start digging into it, you'll have a deeper appreciation of the of the art and the things that you're purchasing and buying, and it might even inspire you to start making stuff of your own. Absolutely. And Corey brought up a good point on Twitter because a lot of people have obviously been like, "Awesome, thank you, Corey." And Corey was like, "Hey, thank you so much. Like, this is tremendous. All this outpouring of support." Do this to other devs. Yeah. Like, thank them publicly. Thank the people who make the stuff you love and show them that because obviously in a grind like this where he's pretty open in the documentary of how much this got to him at certain points, it is nice to know that there are people out there who are so thankful mm-hmm. for what you made. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's also, I mean, we have the, there's the sort of auteur problem, which is obviously so many people work on a game and do so many different bits and pieces and every studio is a little bit different structurally. And you kind of have to have somebody who's like, you know, who's a good face for the project and you, you cart them out and you have them sit on a couch and, you know, it's, it's you know, Corey or it's or Kojima or, uh, you know, Ted Price from Insomniac or whoever it is. And it's like, this is... To, to be like, this person made this thing is totally disingenuous, and there's so many people who do little tiny things, and they're not always even allowed to say, I did this thing. You know, like, there can be the person whose job it is to make bushes, and they're, they work for a company that is, you know, 20 minutes into the credits for some <laughs> massive open-world game because they work for some subcontractor studio. And they're like, what if they're really nice bushes? They can't even be like, those are my bushes, you know? Yeah. It's a, yeah, game... Game development is obviously going through, I think, a big transformation on that side. And it's nice to have a window into it like this. Yep. And I hope we see more things like this, like Noclip and things that show us. Mm-hmm. A bit and more this is this about. Raising Kratos is on YouTube. It, you yeah, just, it's on you PlayStation's just YouTube. It it's yeah. free to watch. It's roughly two hours long, mm-hmm. but totally worth watching. Watch it on your TV if you can. Yeah, it's it's a well, really well shot mm-hmm. documentary. Uh, moving on, small thing I want to mention, the top April downloads for the PlayStation Store were revealed in between episodes. Uh, top PS4 games for April, Mortal Kombat 11 was number one, Days Gone was number two, and World War Z was number three. Uh, for PSVR, Beat Saber, still number one, still one of the best PSVR games. Wow. Uh, Job Simulator was number two, and then Super Hot VR number three. Um, not a total surprise there. Days Gone obviously came out the very end of the month. Mortal Kombat had a couple days ahead of it. Yep. Um, we'll see what the May charts look like as well, but I'm not surprised to see both those games up there at all. Moving on from that, I uh, also wanted to briefly mention, because I know there are some fans of it in the Beyond audience, Dauntless has a final actual release date for PS4 and Xbox One. It's coming out May 21st. So we'll have more on that. Casey DeFridis on our team has been covering it quite a bit. She'll have more to say as we get like final code for that game and actually play it, so look forward to more of that coming soon. In addition to that, obviously Red Dead Online got a huge update. It's out of beta now. Um, it is like a full release sort of thing. Um, so our wikis team and John Ryan, who's been on the show a few times, will obviously be jumping into that and having a lot more coverage on IGN as well. That has a it's like a story driven update. Yeah. Which is really interesting because they pretty much stayed away from that kind of stuff with GTA. But we're already getting it for Red Dead. I mean, there were rumors for years about like, here's our new story content or they're, they're working on like the, basically a addendum to the to the core story of, of five. And now Red Dead's already got more stuff out. So if you want more of that, it's there. I got I got really excited the other day. Just I mean, obviously we're gonna get GTA six at some point, but those games are so sort of singular and so few and far between. And every time one of them comes around, it's like we get so hyped about it. But I just looking back, like the most granular little details are so cool. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that that's gonna have a new logo and like new key art. And they put so much like detail into that. I'm just like, I want to see what that logo looks like. The process for yeah, like I just I don't know. Like we got so accustomed to seeing that GTA five and it's like that was what, seven, eight years ago? Yeah. Yeah. That thing dropped and we're like and I'm like, damn, they just like they stole the logo from money. That's <laughs> that's ballsy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I don't know, like I, we're gonna get something totally new and and th- think of that like that GTA four. Yeah. And they're it's the logos and this is stuff we're gonna see on a loading screen. Like it's just I am sorry, I'm just kidding. No, no, you're totally right. I mean this yeah. is like I I always I enjoy the world of Red Dead. I loved what Rockstar did in building this probably one of the most gorgeous open world games ever made knowing that gta is up next and it's going to be a modern gritty crime drama maybe where you can like well hopefully i mean it's going to be a crime drama like we don't know if it's gonna be modern when do you think it'll take place the old west i don't know i feel I mean, like it's got to have cell phones in it yeah i guess you know I don't know. You would do like weird, like night. What if it's in like 1991? What if they have like crap? They don't have phones yeah, in 91. Old cell phones. Car phones. Like some yeah, like Zach Palm Morris. pilots. If everyone had a Palm pilot. <laughs> that Beepers. You're through. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I, would, I don't know. I they've actually they've done yeah. games in the 60s. They've done games in the 80s. They've done yeah. games in the early 90s. Like it's they've, they're you know. Anyway, La Noir. Sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. they can. It'll be very curious to see. I feel like that'll be obviously. I don't know how far away something like that is. Yeah. It yeah. Could be anyone's guess. Um. Games we do know that are announced and may be coming sometime soon in the future, but we're probably going to get something else before then. Death Stranding. Kojima keeps teasing trailers. Uh, He put up a tease a couple weeks ago of Death Stranding logo, Premiere, Adobe Premiere, and then he put up another tease two days ago. And again, Death Stranding, again, a Premiere timeline. So he's making a trailer, I presume. Or maybe the game is just a video. Who knows? 
It's going to have videos in it. It loves will. to do that. Maybe this is a, a game, a video in the game. He's continuing the long tradition of the more we see this game, the less we know about it. And the more we tease it, the more I'm like, just just do Just either, sh- like, put put it out or don't say anything. And obviously, we're going to get something at E3. I'm well, so, so excited. I, I want I'm so ask, excited. I want to talk about Sony and E3 in general, but I do want to ask, when do you think we're going to get this trailer? When do you see it dropping? Um... I see this. I see this dropping during E3 online. Okay. Uh, and I don't know what that looks like, which is odd because I'm, yeah. I'm trying to everything. This is what's weird about going forward with us basically blowing up E3 and putting the pieces back together. Everything has historically gone in a box, <laughs> and you go, "We're a third party studio. We're a first party studio. We're a second party studio. We have a new game. We have to show it off." That will go in our press conference, or we're Final Fantasy. Here's our new game. We got paid by Microsoft to put it at the top of the Microsoft conference. Pull Sony out of E3, and then where do you put a Death Stranding shaped thing? Oh, you, you just drop it you, online. You kick everyone's ass, and you do a week beforehand when everyone's kind of like scrubbing Walmart Canada for Bethesda leaks, <laughs> and you go, "Hi, here's a, a 20 minute, you know, PlayStation State of Play." Do you think it'll be before E3? I think it'd be really smart because yeah. they would suddenly control the messaging. You know, it'd be really cool. And Kojima's done stuff like this before. Uh, if they were like, hey, uh, yeah, Death Stranding. Here's a trailer. Here's a funny release date. And oh, by the way, there's an experience you go download on PSN right now. Yeah. I mean, that's what PT was. It was yeah. a playable teaser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he could totally do that. Uh, Brandon Tyrell's theory is that it just, I think just to see it happen, and I kind of like the idea if it, if it would, to release the trailer right as the Microsoft conference ends at E3. Like, basically, that conference ends, and then you put the trailer online. That would say, be... say, here, you go. I mean, like, there there haven't really been catty moves like that in a while. Like, things that are since the, that big since, since the, like the How to Trade. The Adam Boys ha- yeah. handing mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I think, that would be, I think that would be suicide. I think that would, yeah. I think that, I think the Microsoft uh, conference is going to do the same thing it did last year and, and with Cyberpunk stuff. Yeah. Uh, or else open with it. But I think it's going to be like, that's going to be their, obviously their big thing to, to cart out. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I mean, I think to try to, <clears throat> like, <clears throat> Death Stranding is weird and cool and crazy and people on the internet like to talk about it. But as far as like, I feel like widespread appeal, people are be like, what in the yeah. hell is this? Well, Max and I were talking about this the other day. E3 is so damn weird this year because the Microsoft press conference kicks off the show on Sunday at what 1 p.m. I have it somewhere in front of me. Hold on. And so, in terms of like next gen news and yeah. rollout, getting that ball rolling, uh, that obviously Sony will then counter, or respond to, or ignore completely. All eyes are on Microsoft to basically start the conversation of what next gen looks like, and that that will be done by two o'clock on Sunday afternoon, three days before the actual E3 show floor even opens. And so we know Sony doesn't have a booth. We know Sony doesn't have a press conference. But the biggest thing of the show starts at the beginning of the show, but then it sort of opens up to everything else. And then you have you have third parties. You have Ubisoft. You have an EA parking lot party. Um, <laughs> Square Enix, obviously. And then you've got the Nintendo thing and Bethesda on Sunday night. Uh, but that leaves tons of space for somebody like Kojima or, uh, you know, for Sony to basically go... Hey, we have a special thing that we're going to put here. Or, so, do you think Sony can win E3 without being at E3? Like, can they control the conversation in some way this year without actually being? Yes, yeah. that is a very good Absolutely. question. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you think they need to do to do that? I think take advantage of that week before and where everyone's just kind of milling around. It, it would be a massive pain in the ass for us because we're all sure. like, all our cameras are packed up and we're trying to scramble and get on flights and stuff. But like, for them to come out and be like, "Hey, uh, while you're waiting, here's what we're doing," or right. Conversely, you can wait and see what everyone else does and then just basically be like a jackal and swoop in at the end when everything is everything's exhausted and tired and dead. I think that's a bad move, though, because, I mean, again, again, this is coming from on the press side of things. Huge pain in the ass. A lot of people take comp days, <laughs> vacations and stuff the week after E3. Things aren't set up. Everyone's tired. Well, that's uh, the uh, that's the sort of thing that happens with every time somebody at E3 is like available right now. That is great for people watching the thing at home but in terms of getting press mm-hmm. um e- not even just from 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 journalists and stuff like that but mm-hmm. from any, any content creator uh, if you're a youtuber or whatever you're more focused on the the news grind that is happening that week than you are of basically publishing reactions let's plays reviews of any kind of like 
like there was that game they launched a couple years ago during the PlayStation conference that was like that it was like that bird entwined entwined yeah and it like sort of just came and went um and it was a cool looking game and I eventually went and picked it up but uh, the, the history of like dropping That's the, the uh, concrete genie devs. Yeah, 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 and so I think that like dropping a playable demo for Death Stranding during E3 would be kind of crazy. Um, that said, what you guys were saying is a hundred percent right in terms of like sitting back and waiting to see what Microsoft does. Microsoft is smart enough now, I believe, to not shoot themselves in the foot like they did at the start of the last gen. I I, I have full confidence that they have spent the last five six years going. That that set everything down the wrong path. Sony was able to swoop in, dominate globally, um, own the entire next gen conversation basically from mm-hmm. start to finish. So I think that like this time around they're going to be a little more cautious, but still. And this is where things get interesting. If both of these systems do promise backwards compatibility, by the nature of the current gen library, the PlayStation Five is going to have better backwards compatibility than the Xbox One 2 mm-hmm. because the PlayStation 4 has had better games than the Xbox One has. And they've like, also got they've got a leg up if they're like, "Oh, it's a cross-platform. Anything you own on PSN is yours." And yeah, yeah. You bring it with you. Yeah, PSN stuff is a big question yeah. for how that'll be. But yeah, I mean, that is true if Xbox decides to say also the Xbox One 2 is backward compatible with 360 and well, original that, Xbox still also that is a damn awesome library yeah and that i don't want to downplay that at all i saw that basically every single xbox 360 game above a 90 on metacritic is now playable on the one yeah and that is incredible that's huge i mean the fact that sony is still sitting there being like oh there's a couple ps3 remasters maybe one or two ps2 games like ps now yeah there's you can get a playstation classic like it's it's so scattered but also you got to look at sort of the amount of uh how often people were buying things digitally. Yeah. Like, this last generation is when I made the jump from I need a physical copy of the game to I will happily, you know, just push a button and download sure. it. Sure, yep. yeah. Uh, I, I think it was cool when I when I plugged in my Xbox One and they were like, hey, here's the stuff you want. I was like, oh, hey, Blood Dragon, sweet. You know, a game that never came out physically. Yep. And it's like, you know, there's a handful of things like that on there. But then I'm like, Ilo Milo, the hell are you? <laughs> I also like, I don't know, we heard it last year's E3 that uh, Xbox came out and they basically said, like, we care about the future. Here's our plans. We're ramping up these brand new studios. We, we're going to have, like, this library of, of brand new exclusive content. They've swooped up, like, incredible AAA developers from all over the world who've worked on some of the biggest franchises ever in very key roles. And they're building this f- future-facing library of exclusive games i don't know when that will be ready i can't bank on that as a consumer going to buy their console on day one that one day i'll be able to buy something cool but what we I, could find out at e3 we could find out at e3 yeah. and that's what i hope to see right obviously because i'm pretty agnostic you know, I'm, I'm on a, a a playstation show but i own i've owned every xbox ever made i'll continue to um that said it is uh quantifiable what sony has right now that is not out and that's Death Stranding, The Last of Us 2, and Ghost of Tsushima. That's just the three, the, the big three ones right there. Not even counting whatever Gorilla is working on. And whatever Santa Monica is. And whatever Santa Monica is yeah. working on. Um, you have big studios that, that have big projects in the works that we don't know anything about. And so just kind of knowing that those are in the back, even if we haven't played them and we don't even know what the hell Death Stranding is, I know that it's sort of more intriguing than... Like, whatever some other studio I haven't even seen publish a game yet is working on. And that's it's crappy of me to say, but I trust the guy that made Metal Gear Solid Five more than I trust a new studio that hasn't done anything yet, because one of them is proven. Now, I'm completely open to playing everything new that comes out, all the new experiences. But if you tell me, like, the guys that made The Last of Us are making a new game, and the guys that made Horizon are making a new game, and the guys that made... Metal Gear Solid Five are making a new game. I'm like, okay, this yeah, is. It, I mean, this, this, is, this is my. This, this is, is that what weird I'm point for. where everything is guesswork. Yes, so we are still. Um, it's worth noting in terms of like when Sony could do something around E3. Uh, they've only had two, but the cadence between the first and second state of play was six weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they continue that cadence and drop the third one in a six weeks six week cycle, it will be the week after E3. Right. Interesting. So. Presumably, obviously, Kojima is working on a trailer. They could literally do a state of play that is that Death Stranding trailer and, like, here's the announcements for the days of play 
in June, and that could be the whole state of play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they could also they could also have other sort of third party stuff tease it. Yeah, you know, if they show like some Final Fantasy VII thing and the Square Enix stuff, and they're like, oh, and stay tuned, we'll, you'll hear more in a week at the Sony well, State they, of Play. Yeah, and they basically, I mean, they've done that leading up to E3, where it's mm-hmm. like, hey, we're going to hear more about Final Fantasy VII in June. Square has a conference in June at E3, and there's a Final Fantasy Orchestra right before E3. Like, they've already started to put themselves in the conversation without being there. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that we're that we're sort of negating here for a second is that uh, this E3 could just in, be entirely focused on swan songs for current current gen, right? I think Microsoft is going to talk about next gen plans a little bit. I don't think they're going to give us uh, necessarily like a, a price or maybe even a date. I could be wrong. I'd love to be wrong because I, lo- I want to know those things. But I can tell you that, like, when we find out about, you know, call the Call of Duties and Final Fantasies and basically anything that's still trickling out this year, Sony has probably spent the last year talking to those studios and going, "What can we get to make this experience?" more enticing for PlayStation fans. And that means exclusive content. That means like early access stuff. That means, you know, just all, all of the deals that they've been doing for, for the last five years, which they can they can swindle by nature of having a, a, a sort of a, 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 an audience of people that is two or three times bigger than, than the other consoles. We presume, yeah. Uh, we presume, because we've never actually gotten official numbers on Xbox uh, for whatever reason, which sucks because I love to know those. I love um, numbers. Sony can kind of hang back at E3 and go like, oh, you guys announced a new Call of Duty? Cool. Well, in the corner, there's a PlayStation logo. And here's a press release that quietly says, like, you'll be able to play that early here. Or you'll get exclusive content here for here and here and here. And that's huge. And again, they don't have to show up at the show to do that. That's just, like, by nature of having, you know, sort of reaping the rewards of having 100 million systems out there. Well, like, E3 is so functionally obsolete in that sense Mm -hmm. it is this weird battle royale where every corner of the video game industry throws their newest hottest stuff at the same location physically at once and some of that trickles out on the internet thanks to press or influencers or live streams or press conferences or whatever it is and then it's like i don't know like cut a video and set up a twitch channel and put a countdown on your website any other week of the year yeah and you will probably get more eyes on it and more people talking about it sure and it's like it's just I mean, look at look at Apex Legends. In ten days, that became the biggest game in the world mm-hmm. because it was like, we don't know what it is. We've heard rumors. Here it is. It's out. Go for it. And then it's like that was it. And now it's it, it, it's still going. Yeah. And I mean, something like the precedent, like you were saying, Max, of PT teaser and how significant that is to the PS4's life cycle and part of like the ethos of gaming in this generation to say, hey, we have. PT2 or whatever they want to call it for Death Stranding. Yep. It's the they'll probably figure out something to use a D and an S for in the title, but like here's this 20 minute thing that gives you an idea of Death Stranding. That would be huge. We would yeah, all talk yeah, about yeah. that for weeks. No, totally. Um, it's I I could totally see Sony finding ways to stay in the conversation without being there and probably saves them a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not showing up at that show. It's kind of a big cost. So mm-hmm. I can definitely see that. We'll obviously be talking about Everything at E3, obviously all of IGN will be there, and whatever happens with PlayStation before, after, during, surprise drops, we'll be covering here and on IGN, so be sure to stay tuned for all that stuff. Um, we're so close to E3. I have, uh, I have to book my Are you having it. nightmares yet? No, I just, it's the daytime mares. Oh. just all, all through the day. I've been having, like, work stress dreams left and right. Ooh, just, yeah. Yeah. Not fun. Yeah. Uh, it's just my day. So, yeah. yeah. When I go home, I pet my dog, and I feel better. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. To a very fun memory card that we have. Yeah, memory card. So thank you to everyone who's been writing in for memory card. Memory card, of course, is if you'd like to share with us a beloved PlayStation memory, whether it's funny, sad, happy, whatever, please write in to beyond at IGN.com with the subject line memory card, and we'll be sure to read some of these on the show every week. Uh, one we got in between episodes I really, really wanted to read on this week's um, Obviously, we had that big one about, you know, trading or giving away the game to the woman who would become his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, this The greatest story ever told. That was a great story. That was. I don't know what could live up to it, but I'm going to say this gets probably pretty close for me at least. Hell yeah. Uh, so anyway, Carlos wrote in to beyond at IGN.com and Carlos says, when I was in high school, I had a Sega Saturn and it sucked. I saw an ad at my local electronics boutique. Yes, that's what it was called before they changed it to EB Games yep. about the new Sony PlayStation that was coming out. The price was $300, and I had about $20 to my name. 
But I noticed that they had a trade-in offer where they would accept your used Genesis games and give you $10 for each one. I only had a few Genesis games at the time, so I didn't think this would work for me. Later that afternoon, while walking through the mall, I noticed that KB Toys was having a blowout sale on Genesis games. <gasps> the cheapest one was Tommy Lasorda Baseball for 50 cents. <laughs> I love where this is going. I spoke to the manager and asked a KB employee how many copies they had. She confirmed that they had hundreds since Tommy Lasorda Baseball was a terrible game. So I bought 30 copies for 50 cents each and went to Electronics Boutique and handed them over as trade-ins for my new PlayStation. The salesperson at Electronics Boutique scoffed at me and told me that I couldn't trade in 30 copies of the same game and also that they had to be used. I asked to speak to a manager who agreed that they had to be used but confirmed that there was no restriction to the number of repeat titles that you could trade in. So I proceeded to open up every copy of the game so that they would be used, traded them in, and I got a brand new PS1 for $15. Get them! Oh my god! Yeah, I've been a fan of PlayStation ever since. Thanks, Tommy Lasorda. I have chills! Keep up that the great work. Amazing. I love the show. Thank you so much, Carlos, for writing oh, in that God, story. I love that story. That is insane. I read it. I was like in an Uber to a movie, and I was like, oh, a new memory card. Let me check it out. And I read it, and I'm like, okay. It, it, the headline is memory card or how I got a PS1 for $15. And I'm like, okay, let's see. He probably got it like a used garage sale or something like that. And yeah. That has layers. Oh, my God. How did EB Games outlive KB Toys? I know, right? That's the weird question there. With with sale trade-ins like that? What the hell? You know what? I think they they went and they turned around and they sold every copy of Tommy Lasorda's (laughs) baseball for 15 bucks and they made the money back, whereas KB just made 50 cents. Yeah. Yeah. They took the L on that one. Wow. Good God. That's amazing. Anyway, Carlos, thank you so much for that story. I absolutely love it. Um, if you have a story, whether or not can live up to that, don't worry. We want to hear all of your memory card, your That's favorite amazing. PlayStation yeah, memories. The best stories. This yeah. is They're so really good. Great. Yeah, I really thank you so much to everyone writing in. I run a little bit of a time crunch, so can't read too many, but we'll read more in the future. Time crunch. crunch. <laughs> uh, God, that, someone make that game with us in it. Time crunch with the news crunch theme. That'll be awesome. Time crisis, but everyone's made out of snack foods. And there's a baby crying, always. I would play that. Why not? Uh, Anyway, thank you, Carlos, so much. Again, if you want to write into the show, beyond at IGN.com, and we will read memory cards in the future on the show, and I imagine we'll probably do some in-person ones for Beyond Mm -hmm. 600. I think Tommy Lasorda is going to be at Beyond 600. Confirmed. I can confirm that right now. For Beyond 600. It's not true. (laughs) It's definitely not true. We'll see. We have weeks to plan. I I (laughs) should probably Google if he's alive. Yeah, we should probably check that. Anyway, thank you, Tommy Lasorda. Moving on before that, I uh, wanted to just briefly talk about what we're playing right now. Obviously, uh, there have been a couple big releases. It's been a relatively like up and down spring of like some weeks have major releases. There's a couple weeks at a time with nothing. So what are you guys playing? Is there anything new you're playing? Anything old? What are you up to? Brian, let's start with you. I've been playing uh, a lot of uh, Plague Tale Innocence, which um, is a small it's like a, it if you look at pictures of it or screenshots it it looks like a big open world game uh it's it's not it's sort of like a small story driven kind of action stealth game uh 14th century like basically peasant children are surviving a rat infestation plague um and it's I, I would say it's structurally similar to something like hellblade although i enjoy it a lot more um, in that it's like a quasi-linear kind of story-driven affair. Um, it's the, the the leads in this game are basically children, and the 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 voice acting for them is like really well done and really believable. Uh, it, it's an incredibly beautiful game. It's gorgeous. It's a, yeah, gorgeous game made by like forty-five people, which is just insane. Um, I found out that the studio that made this game also made a Ratatouille game based on the Disney Rat film. Um, I you don't think, know if they exist. A a, it might prequel? be a prequel. Yeah, I don't know if they exist in the same universe. The post credit scene shows you how Ratatouille. In Ratatouille, he turns around and he's just like got like green teeth, you know. <laughs> um, so this is a, I believe it's a slightly budget price game. I think it's like forty nine ninety nine. Um, but I, I really like this game. It's a, it's got a little bit of sort of pass fail stealth stuff early on that can be a little frustrating. But once you push past that and get kind of in the in the groove of the mechanics a little bit, it's got some sort of minor uh, sort of hunting, scavenging, collectible stuff that you can use to upgrade your uh, weapons and characters and, and and stuff like that, which I appreciate because I thought it would be a lot more straightforward than that. It it if you are looking for something to sort of scratch that itch between waiting for The Last of Us Two 
Um, this feels like a very, very early prequel to something like that. Obviously, a lot more sort of streamlined. You're not going to get the same sort of like wealth of animations and, and there's no multiplayer and stuff like that. But um, I really I really dig this game. I really um, hope we get to see more sort of double A studios working on kind of smaller games like this. I think the entire thing will probably go for about nine, ten hours. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for something to sort of crush through, maybe if you want to wait per, for a price drop or rent it or support a small studio like this, check this game out. Yeah, I, this I is, really dig it. It definitely like it has parts that you feel like this is this is you know not this is not full blown AAA. This mm-hmm. is not like a huge sprawling open world, but the amount of detail in the environments is really really impressive. Um, I was just sort of just right off the bat, like kind of I avoided sort of trailers and stuff. I heard there were a lot of rats and it was cool. Mm-hmm. But like the second it was actually booted up. Also, one of the first things you do in that game is just pet a dog, which is nice. I think it's the literal first thing you do. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure is, they were following the Twitter account. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous environment. And I need to I need to press on and, and kind of get into it. I got impatient with it because it is like it's, uh, you know, it is kind of pass fail stealth sequences and um, literal hand holding um, with, you know, with sort of npc characters yeah, yeah i was is, pretty i was pretty worried that the whole game would be like just escort missions stealth stuff and luckily it's not i i totally agree with you like the first i would say like the first hour um is a it gets a little tedious because they are showing you basic mechanics and there really isn't like a lot of wiggle room in terms of where you can go and what you can do um and then it does get into like some very kind of cumbersome naughty dog style like crate pushing puzzles which mm. i wish we could just eradicate from video games forever Errat- um, yeah oh i see what yeah. you do there i mean this is this is the, to me this game is like a it's like a 7.5 low 8 type of thing um i don't think this is a perfect game by any means but yeah it sounds like they used a they kind of you know cherry picked a bunch of sort of proven mechanics to build a game and then actually spend most of the time and energy on the story in the world yeah which is i and there's a part of me that's sort of like but can i what is what if there was like a just a like a less resistant walking simulator version of this you know mm-hmm. which is you know it's a stupid complaint because it's still a video game yeah i'm 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 weirdly torn on that because i totally see what you're saying but i'm actually i appreciate that it's kind of gamier than i thought it would be yeah. like once i once it, it turned into like exploring environments and like grabbing crafting materials to upgrade stuff i was like oh i didn't actually think this would get that rich i thought it would just sort of be like straightforward and keep going um i don't know what you called it before like th- th- we don't have a name for for games like this because it's not open world and i guess it's it's just a like a linear third like what do you call a game like god of war or tomb raider or i think they use wide linear wide linear? which is not f- like a convenient term yeah you know, like jumbo shrimp would, yeah <laughs> uh for reference uh steven petite or pettit for ign i've never known how to say his last name mm-hmm. so i say it differently every time is he gave it a 7.0 yep. for us uh said a plague tale innocence has a great story but the gameplay has a level of convenience that undercuts the perilous world yeah I think that's that's really fair. Uh, one thing that I really appreciated—I don't want to get spoiler or anything—the um, main characters are not killers; they're children. And when they have to do something to protect themselves out of self-defense, there is like a a genuine like self-loathing and disdain in that. They 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 are not proud murderers. I feel like there's a massive disconnect in a lot of video games where characters be in, in movies too right it happens all the time where a character goes from being like just an innocent person to like a trained killer within seconds and never really stops to think about the repercussions of that um this this balances the, the nuance of that a little bit which i i definitely appreciate i think the writing is like really good i can't think of any tv show currently going on where people are debating whether or not a character would murder perilously innocent yeah at any time that's not really a discussion no definitely not but i no, appreciate where not. you're coming from on that yeah yeah <laughs> uh are you guys playing anything else besides that I've been really just feeling kind of like without anything to play. You know, I'm I'm curious about Rage. Dan put up his review about that. We didn't get uh, codes or early copies or anything, but I think the line that really jumped out at me was he said it was like it was sort of a Far Cry shaped thing for people who were burnt out on Far Cry. That which yeah. I'm like super into, and the fact that it's like loud, stupid, uh, like id guns is good. Like the BFGs in there. Not the not the Roll Doll book, but the, the Doom Gun. Maybe both. We yeah, don't know. We haven't seen the game. It actually does look like there's some BFGs running around. I believe there, but it, They don't yeah. look taking some like uh, some of the best parts of Far Cry and mashing them with some of the best parts of Doom from 2016 is like very appealing to me. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good situation. Um, yeah, I, d- I do hope I get some time with that game. 
Yeah, I, before E three is just here, and then we don't get mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, I haven't played it either, but would like to soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been playing. I'm still working my way through the Assassin's Creed Odyssey DLC, but I also just picked up uh, because our former producer Barrett Courtney uh, was tweeting about it so much. I went back to start playing the Batman Arkham games again. <laughs> I'm, st- I'm in Arkham Asylum still, what, man. Did they patch it or something, or like what happened? There was a, just return to Arkham. Like I just felt like doing oh, it. Okay. he was going for the platinums. Like he wants right. to go through it all again they're like his favorite games of all time and i was just like yeah i like those games a lot too i should replay them uh and so i'm working my way through arkham asylum i just decided to like i never did it on my original run but that secret room that took everyone months oh yeah yeah, yeah. i finally was like oh yeah now that i know where that is i should go find it how how is it like revisiting arkham asylum it's good and bad i think like what's funny is at the when the game came out i remember a lot of people were talking about like the combat being too easy mm-hmm. even though that has become the standard of combat basically like that has become how combat in third person action games yeah. works and like the gold standard for it. it there is a little bit of a timing disconnect for me that i haven't been able to get down yet like it's revisiting the original games there's a slight bit of uh for blocking and countering basically i still miss it occasionally it's not as snappy right yeah i remember yeah. that being tricky yeah, yeah the combat in those games to me always had the this uh missing a note and guitar hero element where like you literally hear like a it's like a like there's yeah. like a somebody hits a turntable in the middle of a song and your combo stops and batman gets punched in the neck and then you build it back up again um but i remember that one being my favorite because of sort of how not linear, but how sort of intimate it was and interwoven. It's it's the most Metroidvania of totally. any of the ones they've yeah. done. Um, and I think it was like a phenomenal excuse to introduce like seven or eight great villains in a very enclosed area. And like going from, you know, the, the sewers were Killer Croc to... God, I hate uh, that part. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, the, well, that's the worst part of it. I hate that part. I also, I think uh, the like Super Joker final boss is oh, just, that, yeah, is to be very bad. Yeah. But I like, the, I like the Poison Ivy stuff. There's a couple other characters that are handled yeah. really well. And like the introduction of Riddler puzzles without being scattered all over a massive city is really smart yeah. and enticing. Um, but yeah, I've always, I've always wanted to revisit that, but then torn between being like, no, just let it sit in your head as the thing you enjoy. And don't go back and open that box again because you might not like it's it. It's still great. Like, so many parts of it are still great. I'm going back largely because I've always held, like, I liked Arkham Asylum better. But obviously, I talked to Barrett all the time. And City is his, like, gold standard. Right. Like, he loves it. And so I'm like, I loved Arkham City, but I still always have had, like, a kinship with Asylum. But I want to go back because it's been a few years since I've played both and see how I feel about them now, especially in a modern context. Traversal in City is, like, some of it's, like. God, that feels so good. Yeah, and I, I think their side stuff is probably the gold standard for that franchise yep. of like how you explore other villains in small encapsulated missions yep. um, without the Firefly issue in Arkham Knight where you're just basically chasing them down over and over and over. It's just the same thing. God, I want to see what they're doing next. I know, I can't wait. I know, it's it feels, so like, it really feels like it could be a good year for it. You know, WB is the biggest question mark to me going into E3. They're also always really good about keeping stuff locked down yeah. until like the day before E3 and then you're like, what's that poster? And they're yep. like, <laughs> but yeah, Surprise. I mean, like, we've had those, like, maybe they're working on a Batman, another Batman game, maybe uh, WB in total, whatever Rocksteady's working on. There's maybe that Harry Potter game that was leaked that could be real. Mm. Like, who knows? There are so many options there. And of course, they also are the home of TT Games for Lego. So yeah. there's a lot there. Um, before we wrap up, thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode. Episode 591. We're so close to 600. Max, Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at Agent Bizzle. Uh, find Max at Max Scova. But more importantly, every weekend you can find us on IGN uh, and on YouTube with our brand new show, Up at Noon, which we've just relaunched and we're super proud of. It's like the most like TV show shaped thing we've ever made here at IGN. Yeah, we are. We've both been making shows on the internet for close to a decade, maybe longer, and it's kind of crazy to have like, you know, when you tr- you try to draw something and it doesn't look as good as it does in your head. This is when you draw it and it looks like it. Like, this is the show we've been wanting to make for so long. Yeah. And I think some people are bummed that it's no longer like an hour of kind of bloated, rambling live stream nonsense. There's room for that at some point. Yeah. But this is like, this is the kind of thing you can watch on your lunch break. This is, you can watch it on the toilet. It's 15 minutes of just like. It very perfectly to me, and I mean this as a compliment, feels like your brain's put on TV. Thank like, you. On the That's the like, sweetest it, thing you could possibly say to us. It very much is you two personified into a great like encapsulated 15 to 20 minute thing thank you it's very much inspired by like sort of like 90s uh nickelodeon and also lots of g4 mm-hmm. you know old, yeah. old sort of like attack of the show shaped stuff um it's, and yeah we just put all four 
or, or five this weekend, full episodes on YouTube. So if you're looking for a cool show to marathon while you clean your apartment or whatever. It's Saturdays on IGN at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, and yep. then YouTube on Sundays. Mm-hmm. That time. There's a YouTube playlist that has all the episodes on it that's like up at noon, director's cut, season one or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's great. I, I say we should put like hashtag Snyder Cut in there, but I don't. I don't know if that would go over well. I, I feel like if you put that in the tags, you'd get a lot of hits. That will attract an audience. A lot I'm of hits sure put out on us. The audience we want, but you know, uh, of course they will be there for discussion of the Snyder Cut and just uh, up at noon in general. Go to YouTube.com/slash IGN. That's right. Is there? And of course, we new episodes go live of Beyond every Wednesday, 3 p.m. Pacific, unless I'm slightly delayed on getting it uploaded, at YouTube.com/slash IGN Beyond. That's the full URL, beyond.ign.com yep. and on your favorite podcast services. Oh, and if you somehow missed our second episode last week, the the bonus one we did for the State of Play reaction, go check that out. It yeah. is a full episode of Beyond that we just wanted to do for you guys. So. Yeah, it was a really fun episode. I yeah. think it was a really fun discussion. And yeah, that happened in between standard episodes. So if you haven't gotten to check that out, please go do that. Um, in addition to that, since you've made it this far on the show and in the spirit of being good and happy to people, if you follow or don't follow, go follow Jared Petty on Twitter. He's at Petty, Jared, and just tweet at him, hey, Jared, you're a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jared is one of the most wonderful people I've ever met. I love yeah. that man so much. Um, so if you're listening this far into the show, go tweet at him. Say nice things. He's a wonderful person. And uh, I am at JM Dorbush on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me there. And as always, we are so close to Beyond, episode 600, but this is Beyond, episode 591. And as always, Beyond. Beyond. Beyond.